0: Good morning and welcome to today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for March 9, 2023. I'm your reader, Bob. Here's our first story. Paul Fetterman Named the Teacher of the Year Morningside STEM Elementary School Teacher Jenny Paul Fetterman has been named the Sioux City Community School District's Teacher of the Year. Paul Fetterman has been with the district since 2000, currently serving as a Title I intervention A-list at Morningside Elementary. On Wednesday, the school held an assembly to announce her award. Jenny is always ready to support all classrooms and shows up each day with a positive attitude, said Gerald Moser, principal of Morningside Elementary. She is very flexible and easily adaptable to change. Paul Fetterman said it meant the world to her to receive the award. She said every person who attended the assembly, between the students and the staff, made her the educator she is. I would just like to share that award with all of them because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be who I am today, she said. The school had nominated Paul Fetterman as their building teacher of the year, and she said she was up against many phenomenal teachers throughout the district, and was honored to be in the running with them. Superintendent Rob Rod Early Wine said there are hundreds of school team members working in the district every day dedicating their lives to the students' success. Earlywine said Paul Fetterman is inspiring to students and staff and her strength is in her positivity. She is a tremendous role model for the staff and students, who have the privilege of knowing and working with her, he said. Moser said Paul Fetterman is dedicated to her position regarding regardless of the medical issues she is facing. Paul Fetterman was diagnosed with acute lymphocritic leukemia in July 2021. She took time away from teaching last year and returned this year. She is in remission. She said she shares her story with students when they ask, teaching kids that life isn't always fair and people are throwing curveballs. You just push past it. You continue to fight for what you believe in, she said. I have such a strong passion for teaching that I knew once I was done with my treatments, I wanted to get back to what was normal for me, and that's working with children. She said the kids and the staff and her family away from home, and she missed them during her year away. Paul Fetterman's information will be submitted to the Iowa Department of Education for consideration as the state's Teacher of the Year representative, which will be announced in the fall of 2023. The Sioux City Education Association and the district chose the District Teacher of the Year from teachers nominated from all of the buildings. The teachers nominated this year were Wendy Bryce from Career Academy, Amy Baker, Westside School, Aubrey McCaslin-Hibbs, East High School, Betsy Flowers, Liberty Elementary School, Sean Gorsett, Clark Early Childhood Center, Nicole Hahn, North Middle School, Caitlin Marsh, Riverside Elementary School, Terry Marsh, Sunnyside Elementary School, Francisca Leone, Leeds Elementary School, Stephanie White, Unity Elementary School, Jennifer Hughes, Los Hills Computer Programming Elementary School. Chris Pokes, West Middle School. Jamie Lang, East Middle School. Josiah Schiller, North High School. Tova Natwick, Bryant Elementary School. Lee Johnson, Vibe Academy. Emily Bowman, Spalding Park Environmental Sciences Elementary School. Courtney Jungers, Hunt A-Plus Arts Elementary School. Nicole Mueller, Irving Dual Language Elementary School. Jenny Paul Fetterman, Morningside STEM Elementary School. Stacy Vondrak, Perry Creek Elementary School. Our next article, Public Money for Private School Tuition Bill Advances, by Marjorie A. Beck. Nebraska could join 48 other states in offering public money for private school tuition under a bill advanced by the state legislature on Wednesday, even as some lawmakers expressed concern about taxpayers' dollars going to private schools, allowing them to turn away students based on religious tenets. Rather than approaching taxpayer dollars directly toward private school vouchers, the bill would allow businesses and individuals to donate a portion of their own owed state income tax to the use for scholarships covering private school tuition. Because the do- donations would offer a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit for up to $100,000 per year, it's likely to be utilized most heavily by businesses and the wealthy. The bill allocates $25 million annually to cover such donations, money that otherwise would have gone into the state's general review fund. The bill, introduced by Omaha Senator Lou Ann Linneman at the request of Republican Governor Jim Pillen, sets up a priority system for the scholarships, with top priority going to the lowest-income students. After the first year, the system goes into effect. Top priority goes to those students who received a scholarship the previous year and to any siblings who live with them. Other tiers are designated for students who are being bullied in their current school, foster kids, and students with a parent serving active military duty or had a parent killed in the line of duty. Linneman stressed that her bill does not take funding from public schools, which are pegged to receive a billion-dollar boost from another bill backed by Pillen this year. She touted the measure as helping underprivileged students who have Few other choices when they find themselves in an underperforming or toxic public school environment. This bill gives the choice to parents and students to attend the school that meets their need, Linneman said. The bill must survive two more rounds of debate to get to Pillen's desk. Linehan has tried for years to pass a version of the bill, but this year garnered 31 co-sponsors out of 49 senators in Nebraska's unique one-house legislature. That included two Democratic lawmakers, Senators Terrell McKinney and Justin Wayne, and the official nonpartisan legislature. McKinney and Wayne, whose Omaha districts include inner-city schools, cited the need for parents in their districts to have choices to send their kids to better schools. Republicans around the country have been pushing such publicly funded private school voucher systems for years and have seen recent success. Lawmakers in Iowa approved a similar law earlier this year, and at least a dozen states, including Kansas and Missouri, that border Nebraska, are considering similar legislation. Opponents of the Nebraska bill have balked at using diverted tax dollars to fund tuition to private schools, many of which overtly reject members of the LGBTQ plus community. Omaha Senator John Fredrickson, the first openly gay man elected to the Nebraska legislature, said he fears his son would not be accepted into religious-based private schools because he has two dads. It's also not clear to me if my husband and I would be allowed on campus to attend sports games or school activities. Fredrickson said, He asked a lobbyist representing Nebraska's Catholic schools on Tuesday whether he, his husband, and son would be welcomed at Catholic schools. He said he'll have to get back to me, Fredrickson said this isn't school choice this is distilling different groups out of opportunities senator megan hunt of omaha questioned the motive of the bill saying it's about giving money to rich people using a few underprivileged people as some nice marketing she introduced an amendment that would ban private schools benefiting from the vouchers from discriminating on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, ancestry, citizenship status, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, or special education status. It failed Wednesday on a largely 31-15 to party-line vote. Linehan's bill advanced on a 31-12 vote with several lawmakers not voting. Lawmakers Pass Bill on Gender-Affirming Care LGBTQ Iowans Say Ban Will Harm Their Community By Aaron Murphy and Caleb McCullough Out of Des Moines A proposed ban on gender-affirming care for minors in Iowa is on its way to Governor Kim Reynolds' desk. Republican state lawmakers passed the ban and other LGBTQ bills over the past two days putting them en route to Reynolds on Wednesday. Reynolds' office did not immediately respond Wednesday when asked whether she plans to sign the bill into law once it reaches her. Thousands of Iowans have publicly protested the bill, and others that have been moving through the Iowa legislature over the last week. Students at dozens of schools across the state walked out of classes, and hundreds attended two rallies at the Iowa Capitol this past week, on Sunday and again on Wednesday. If the bill is signed into law, it will likely be at least temporarily halted by a legal challenge. Similar bills in other states are being challenged in the courts, including in Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, and Texas. Republican legislatures who proposed and advanced the ban on gender-affirming care says it is necessary to protect children from medical care and treatments when the science is not settled even though all major medical groups in the U.S. say the treatments are safe and the vast majority of studies show that the care leads to better mental health outcomes. During debate Wednesday, Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison, who oversaw the bill's movement in the Iowa House, pointed to studies in Europe, including one that says more study is needed on the long-term effects of gender-affirming care. The study says there is some evidence that individuals who have sex reassignment have considerably higher risk for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Our children deserve the time to grow into themselves, to find themselves, to go through phases without medical interventions that are unproven in their efficacy, Holt said. It is for these reasons that I believe we should wait on these life-altering procedures and therapies for children until they are adults. During debate in the Iowa Senate on Tuesday, Senator Jeff Edler, Republican from State Center, who oversaw the bill's movement in that chamber, pointed to a study that he said illustrates his concern for the long-term impacts of hormonal treatment. The 2018 study, which can be found on the American Academy of Pediatrics website, said the long-term side effects of hormonal treatment could include bone density loss and also says more research is needed on those long-term impacts. However, it also concludes the treatments benefit the patients and are generally safe. Republican Representative Jeff Shipley pointed to the guidance from the World Professional Association for Transgender Health which says the number of studies is still low and there are few outcome studies that follow youth into childhood. Still, those guidelines recommend puberty blocking blockers and hormone treatment in adolescents with gender dysphoria who meet certain conditions and the organization vehemently opposes bills like the one passed by the Iowa Republicans. Representative Austin Bath, Democrat from Des Moines, who is a physician, Noted that preponderance of evidence continues to show that while the treatments sometimes come with side effects, that they are safe, and that studies and physicians that cast doubt on the treatment safety are outliers. It takes lots of physicians to come together, looking at all the studies, not cherry-picking them to support an agenda, Berth said, but looking at the mountain of evidence, the preponderance of evidence, and deciding what is most likely answer to the question the bill would ban doctors in the state from providing puberty blockers, hormones, and surgeries to minors under age 18 to treat gender dysphoria. Doctors who violate the bill would be subject to discipline from a state licensing board, and individuals could bring lawsuits against doctors who perform gender-affirming care. Minors who are receiving medical treatment now would have 180 days to discontinue that care. Brian Lose, Republican from Bondurant, who is one of five House Republicans voting against the bill, said the bill runs counter to the parental choice mantra Republicans frequently champion. The doctors also testified to lawmakers in February said puberty blockers, medications that stop the onset of puberty, are reversible, Which, while the effects of hormone treatment are mostly reversible. Surgery, which generally means breast reduction, is not reversible. Doctors also told lawmakers that gender affirming care is a practice that occurs after months of careful evaluation from multiple doctors, and that parental consent is always involved. Democrats said the bill is a rash reaction to concerns over the efficacy of the care, noting all major medical organizations in the U.S. support interventions for youth who persist with persistent gender dysphoria. The American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Psychiatric Association all include gender-affirming care for youth in their guidelines. Woodbury County tax levies to decrease one cent. From Caitlin Yamada out of Sioux City. Tax rates next fiscal year for both urban and rural residents will decrease by one cent. The Woodbury County Board of Supervisors said they were able to close a massive $6.3 million gap and reduce the tax levy. Tax rates for the next fiscal year are currently set at $7.14 for urban and $9.60 for rural per 1000 of taxable valuation. The Board held a public hearing on Tuesday and after hearing no input, the Board unanimously approved the levy. The final public hearing will take place on March 28th. The gap to keep the same rate as fiscal year 2023 was the largest in years, almost triple the previous year. Board Chair Matthew Ung previously said the board started with the largest shortfall in county history. It will be the ninth year in a row that the tax rate has not been increased on county-wide residents, and I think that's extraordinary, Ung said previously. Historically, $2 million has been the gap the supervisors needed to fill to keep the property tax levy the same. Last year, the Board sought to close the $2.6 million gap. The Board has been working at each meeting throughout the last few months to make small and large cuts from department budgets to bridge the $6.3 million increase. The budget includes a full recommendation given by the Compensation Board for elected officials. The Compensation Board made a recommendation for a 7% increase for Auditor Pat Gill, Treasurer Tina Bertrand, and County Attorney James Loomis, a 10% increase for the Board of Supervisors, and a 22% increase for Sheriff Chad Sheehan. The Board has until the budget is certified on March 28th to decrease these percentages by the same rate. This year's budget cap was closed through a variety of budget cuts, appropriations, and the use of other avenues of funding. One of the largest changes that affected the budget was the use of $2.5 million of the proceeds from the sale of the county farm. This is the second year the Board has made this move. Other large decreases were $670,500 from the district health allocation reduction and instead using American Rescue Plan Act funding. $535,000 $535,000 reduction for equipment for various departments using gaming funding instead, $411,738 from the correctional facility sheriff's budget, and $225,000 from lowering the secondary road's minimum tax asking. Many of the smaller reductions were due to a 40-hour accrual reduction the overall tax asking was proposed to increase by roughly seven point eight million dollars with improvement requests without the improvement requests the tax asking was proposed to increase by seven point three million dollars last year it was around six point three million dollars Butler said If nothing was changed, the potential tax rate was $8.07 for urban and $10.69 for rural per $1,000 of taxable valuation. The fiscal year 2023 budget had tax rates of $7.15 for urban and $9.61 for rural per $1,000 of taxable valuation. This was a two-cent decrease for both from the fiscal year 2022 budget. Women United of Siouxland awards grants by the journal staff out of Sioux City. Women United of Siouxland awarded more than $92,000 in grants to seven nonprofit organizations serving Siouxland children on International Women's Day, which was celebrated on Wednesday. Since 2006, Women United of Siouxland has awarded nearly $1.25 million to local nonprofit groups aimed at providing research-based, life-improving programs for Siouxland youth. Globally, Women United, part of United Way Worldwide, is a growing force of over 75,000 women dedicated to creating a world of opportunity for everyone. Heartland Counseling Services, a mental health and substance abuse services provider, received a $1,926 Women United grant to purchase equipment, furniture, therapy-appropriate play toys, and cleaning supplies. Catholic Charities was granted $21,269 for a licensed therapist to provide therapy and psychiatric support to members of the Boys and Girls Club of Siouxland during summer programming. Mercy One Child Advocacy Center received $4,255 for a specially trained Speak Up Be Safe instructor and materials for lessons. The Urban Native, native Center was granted $16,000 to purchase laptops. The Urban Native Center serves nearly 100 native youth per year with a goal of reaching 250 youth annually. Siouxland Foster Closet. A volunteer run organization that supports hundreds of foster children each year received $20,000 for clothing and necessities for children in out of home placements and materials, and supplies for the nonprofit's new home on Geneva Street. The Crittenden Center received $6,200 for supply desks, noise reduction earphones, a projector, sensory rugs, and classroom supplies. <laughs> Sleep in Heavenly Peace has built and delivered over 350 fully furnished beds since its inception in September 2021. The organization was granted $25,000 for the purchase of materials, mattresses, pillows, and bedding for approximately 100 beds. Women interested in joining Women United of Siouxland can t- contact the United Way at 712 255 five three. 551 or visit UnitedwaySooland.com. Bond issues pass in South O'Brien fail in West Sioux by the Journal staff. Out of Paulina, Iowa, voters in the South O'Brien Community School District on Tuesday approved a $25.9 million bond issue that will fund additions and renovations to the district's buildings. For the second time in a year, a bond issue to fund elementary school improvements in the West Sioux Community School District failed. Nearly needing 60% approval to pass, the South O'Brien bond issue had 676 votes in favor and 418 against for a 61.8% approval. West Sioux's $14.9 million bond issue narrowly missed passage with 58.5% approval. The final vote was 379 to 269 A $1.5 million bond issue for a new community center in, in Dune received 75% voter approval. In South O'Brien, plans call for construction at the junior-senior high school in Paulina of an agricultural wing and greenhouse, an industrial arts wing, auxiliary gym, and a community fitness center. Renovations will be made to the current weight room, locker rooms, and parking lots. The former Industrial arch Building will be remodeled and become home to the central office, school board meeting room, and alternative school. The school's 1925 portion will be demolished and replaced with science and multipurpose rooms. The gymnasium at the elementary school, located in Primgar, also will be renovated and upgraded. West Sioux's bond issue would have funded additions and renovations to the district's elementary schools in Howarden and Ireton. In March 2002, a $15.7 million bond issue to build a new elementary school in Ireton failed to pass after receiving 57.4% approval. Pope Bolsters Women at Vatican But Resistance Remains by Nicole Winfield of the Associated Press out of Vatican City. Pope Francis increased the Vatican female workforce, including high-ranking positions, but women still face resistance from the all-male Catholic hierarchy to access leadership positions in the Church, according to Vatican statistics and independent surveys released Wednesday. The data was released as Francis marked International Women's Day by thanking women for their commitment to building a more humane society through their ability to grasp reality with a creative eye and a tender heart. Catholic women do the lion's share of the Church's work in schools, hospitals, and passing down to faith the faith to future generations, but have long complained of a second class status in an institution that reserves the priesthood for men. Francis has overseen a marked increase in the number and percentage of women working at the Vatican in the last 10 years as Pope, from 19.3% in 2013 to 23.4% today, according to statistics reported by Vatican News. In the Curia alone, the Holy See offices that actually run the Universal Catholic Church, the percentage of women has now hit 26%, such that one in four employees is female. And while no woman heads a Vatican office, more women hold top decision-making positions than at any time in the Vatican's history. Among them is Sister Raffaella Petrina, the first-ever female Secretary General of the Vatican City-State responsible for the territory's health care system, police force, and main sources of revenue, the Vatican Museums. Petrini, a member of the Meriden, Connecticut-based Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist Religious Order, said Wednesday during a Women's Day speech that her nomination raised eyebrows. She, She acknowledged her philosophy of organization leadership encountered some resistance, particularly within the Vatican's old guard but younger employees were more open to the collaborative teamwork she promotes. Even in non-ecclesial organizations, resistance is part of the process of change, said Petrini, a professor of welfare economics at Rome's Pontifical Angelicum University. In addition to naming more women to the Vatican, Francis launched a multi-year consultative process about the church's future that increasingly pointed to concrete demands by catholic women for greater leadership and decision-making roles maria la zervino president of the world union of catholic women's organization said francis's consultative synod process was going a long way toward letting women's voices be heard She released preliminary results of a survey of female participants that found the majority believed that they were listened to, even though obstacles remained. Servino, who along with Petrini was named by Francis as the first female members of the Vatican's Dissertary for Bishops last year, said 43% of the respondents identified ordained ministers as posing the greatest obstacle to the consulta- consultation process, evidence that clerics remain resistant to women's full participation. Another survey released Wednesday by researchers at the University of Newcastle, Australia, identified abuses of power and Clericalism as barriers to women's participation in the church, and found the vast majority of respondents to a non random sampling of Catholic women supported women's ordination to the priesthood and the ability to preach homilies at Mass. Servino said her own experience at the Vatican helped nominate bishops, helping nominate bishops hadn't run into clerical resistance, but she said it hasn't been easy either. In my life, I never thought I would be doing this, she told a Woman's Day event at the Vatican, and it requires a terribly big effort for me because I have to be at a high level that I'm still learning. She said her experience taught her that the Church must train women to be leaders in the hierarchy, since these positions are now open to them thanks to Francis's reforms. I thank the Church for this, which is an important, wonderful step forward, she said. There is no Possibly possibility of going back. You are listening to the Sioux City Journal, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Bob. If you have any comments on this or any IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we turn to today's obituaries. Our first obituary is Linda A. Fitzpatrick of Sioux City. Age 71, she died March 4th, 2023. Services are March 11th at 10 a.m. at Holy Cross St. Michael Catholic Church. Burial at Calvary Cemetery. Visitation is March 10th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Myers Brothers Morningside Chapel. Roger Holtzman of Houston, Texas, formerly Lamars, Iowa, and Omaha, Nebraska. At age 86, he died Sunday, March 5, 2023. Celebration of life at a later date with burial to follow at Calvary Cemetery, Lamars. Arrangements with Mauer johnson Funeral Home in Lamars. Stephen R. Smith of Cherokee, Iowa. Age 69, died February 28, on Tuesday, of 2023. Services, March 11th at 10 a.m., Christensen-Van Houghton Funeral Home, Ida Grove, Iowa. Burial services following, Ida Grove Cemetery, Ida Grove. And that concludes our obituaries for today. And now we'll turn to sports. Panther sets state wins record. Dakota Valley earns state birth as Bruns set score, career scoring mark by Dave Dreesen out of Harrison, Harrisburg, South Dakota. It was a night of record-breaking performance for the Dakota Valley Tuesday night as the Panthers earned the right to defend their 2022 boys' state basketball title. In the 91-41 drubbing of Miller in South Dakota Class A round of 16 qualifier, the Panthers won their 50th consecutive game, breaking the record of the longest winning streak in state history, regardless of class. Entering the game, Dakota Valley shared the mark set by Custer from 1989 to 1991. Isaac Bruns, the reigning Class A Player of the Year, also became the school's career scoring leader. Tuesday night, breaking the mark set by his brother, Paul, Isaac poured in 32 points versus Miller, raising his career total to 2,209, three more than his older brother, who played from 2018 to 2021. Brune's last two points Tuesday night came on an emphatic dunk with six minutes to play in the game, bringing the Dakota Valley faithful to their feet in the Harrisburg school gym. It was pretty exciting, Dakota Valley head coach John Cleese said. With the game long since over, Cleese emptied the bench two minutes into the fourth quarter. All the Panthers played and ten scored. Bruins, who will join his brother Paul at the University of South Dakota next year, was 11-of-13 from the field, 4-for-4 four four from the three-point range, and a perfect 6-for-6 six six from the free-throw line. The senior guard also posted yet another double-double, leading the team in rebounds with 12. Clay note Bruins put together an efficient night since his minutes were limited due to early foul trouble and the blowout victory. Junior Jackson Wingert added 17 points on 8-of-14 shooting, and Senior Guard Jason Henneys added 13 on 5-of-10 shooting, including 3-of-7 from downtown. Senior Point Guard Randy Rosenquist, a returning first-time All-State honoree, had 8 points, 6 rebounds, and a team-high 8 assists. The fifth starter, Senior Sam Faldmo, had 5 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists. Kleist noted that the Henines and Faldo have really come late in the season, with both averaging near double figures in scoring. Those kids probably didn't get enough attention, he said. The Panthers put Miller away early, taking a commanding 26-5 lead after the first quarter. The Panthers advantage swelled to 51-25 by halftime and 77-33 after three periods. Dakota Valley, which went undefeated in winning its first state tournament last season, has been a marked team throughout this season, staying upbeat despite facing one of the toughest schedules among Class A squads. Getting back to the state tournament comes as a big relief for the Panthers, Kleist said. The last round was a little stressful for us against a really good team, he said of the Panthers' 74-65 come from behind over the Titans last week. They were battle-tested. We survived that. The build-up to breaking the state's all-time record for most consecutive wins also has been somewhat of a monkey on the team's back, he said. To get that all out of the way before the state tournament is pretty awesome, he said. Now we can focus on trying to win three more games. To no one's surprise, the Panthers earned the top seed in Class A at next week's state tournament in Sioux Falls. Dakota Valley will face number 8 seed at noon on March 16th in the Denny Sanford Premier Center. The pairings for the 18 tournament won't be finalized until the completion of the last round of 16 qualifying games. Due to wintry weather, the St. Thomas Moore-McLaughlin game was originally set for Tuesday, was postponed until Friday in Wall. If the number 2 seed St. Thomas Moore beats the number 15 seed McLaughlin, Hot Springs would be the number 8 seed at the state tournament and face Dakota Valley in the quarterfinals. Healin upsets Marion. Crusaders gained Class 3A semis over Cedar Rapids Xavier by Ethan Petrick. Out of Des Moines. A double-double performance from star forward Matt Noel powered Bishop Helan to a 68-59 upset win over third seed of Marion in Class 3A quarterfinals on Tuesday. Noel put up 25 points and 13 rebounds in the game to lift the Crusaders over the Wolves and Class 3A leading scorer Brayson Lobb. It feels great, Noel said. It feels great to know that I went out there trusted in my teammates and they trusted in me to go get buckets. The Crusaders will face the winner of the Cedar Rapids Xavier, who is 19 and 19-6 in the semifinals at 345 Thursday. Healand head coach Matt Hahn said the semifinal match will come down to details. Can we handle ourselves on the boards, Hahn said. It helps when I do not think we missed a free throw tonight. That helps a lot. Hahn said solid defense up and down the Crusaders lineup allowed them to hold Lopp to 4.5 points less than the, his season average. Credit to Sean Schaefer, Cater Cool, Matt Knoll. Played really good defense, Han said. Everybody played really, really good defense. It's the same game plan every time, and I feel like we did that on most possessions tonight. Marion wasted no time taking the lead in the first quarter as Lobb connected with a three-pointer on the Wolves' first possession. Lobb intercepted a healing pass shortly after the Crusaders brought the ball across half-court line to push the score to 5-0. Alex Moda scored seven, six more points for Marion to push the Wolves out to an 11 4 lead over the Crusaders. Helam responded to Marion's early surge with a hefty run of its own. Sparked by Matt Noel jumper in the paint, the Crusaders rode a 9 0 run, which lasted just over three minutes into the lead. Beau Chamberlain connected on a three pointer with 2.09 remaining in the first quarter to tie the game at 11. Quim Olson scored a minute later to put Heelan ahead 13-11. Lobb scored five points in the final minute of the first quarter to put the Wolves back in front 16-13 at the start of the second quarter. A three-pointer from Noel 22 seconds into the second quarter brought the game back even at 16-16, but Marion managed a 14-4 run to get out to a 30-20 advantage. Helan scored the final four points of the half to trim the Mar- Marion's lead to a 30-24 at halftime. Hans said he felt the Crusaders look flat in the first half and urged his team to up their aggressiveness in the second half. I challenged the guys at halftime that we were not aggressive, Hans said. The message at halftime was just, we earned the right to be here. There is nothing to be scared of. We kind of let the bright lights and the big court and all that stuff and the pressure from Marion swallow us up a little bit. We just went into halftime and talked that we are aggressive. We are a good team when we are aggressive. That is what we need to be. Both offenses ground to a halt in the third quarter. As a three-pointer from Healan star, Sam Skinner served as the lone field goal for either team in the first two and a half minutes of action. The defensive battle played in favor of the Crusaders as they closed their six-point halftime deficit to a one-point deficit by the end of the third quarter. An alley-oop finish by Knoll and three-pointer from Skinner served as massive momentum swings for Helan. Hahn credited the alley-oop between Knoll and Olsen as the second-half spark for Elon. I saw the ball, Noel said. I knew it was perfect, and I was about to boom it. Trailing 40-39 at the start of the fourth quarter, Noel converted on a three-point play to propel the Crusaders into the lead 18 seconds into the final quarter. The Crusaders' first lead since first quarter did not last long, however, as Marion tied the game at the free-throw line 14 seconds later. Over the next three minutes, Carter Cool twice pushed the Crusaders back in front with three-pointers, a sequence in which the lead changed hands five separate times. Trailing 49-48, Noel again converted on a layup to put Heelan ahead 50-49, with four fourteen remaining in the game. Noll's layup served as a catalyst for a 12-0 game-winning run. Kuhl made it a 10-0 run with a three-point play of his own off an Olsen offensive rebound. Olsen capped the run with a pair of free throws to put Heelan ahead by 11. Leading 60-49, to Heelan held off a Marion rally, which saw the Wolves cut the lead to just 5 points with 39 seconds to go to seal the win and advance to the Class 3A semifinals on Thursday. In addition to Noel, Cool ended up the game with 17 points on 6 of 11 shooting from the field, while Olsen added 10 points. Lobb ended the night as the Wolves' leading scorer to 8. A- to 18 and shot just 37.5% from the field. Three other Wolves scored in double figures with Moda bowing out at 14 points and Peyton Hodges and Kalen Claypool both adding 10. Balanced attack leads Chargers. Briarcliff women win in first round of national tourney. Six. Briarcliff players scored in double figures Tuesday night as the Chargers raced past Missouri Baptist 77-65 in the opening round of the NAIA Women's Basketball National Tournament. The Chargers, the number four seed in the Fort Wayne pod, moved on to face Indiana Tech at 5 p.m. Central Time Wednesday in Indiana Tech's home gym in Fort Wayne. The winner would advance to the final site for the NAIA Championship Tournament at Tyson's Events Center in Sioux City. Indiana Tech beat Bryant in the other opening round game Tuesday in Fort Wayne. Missouri Baptist jumped out to a 19-16 lead after the first quarter, but the Chargers outscored the Spartans 17-5 in the second quarter to take a 33-24 halftime lead. The Chargers maintained their advantage in the second half, hitting some key shots and free throws down the stretch to preserve the win. Peyton Slaughter led Briarcliff with 19 points versus Missouri Baptist. The Chargers also received double-figure scoring from Madeline Dyscher with 14, Connor Sudman with 13, Kagan Held with 11, and Peyton Wingard and Kenny Benn with 10 each. Briarcliff, which earned the automatic bid to the NAIA tournament by winning the GPAC tournament championship game over regular season Dort, improved to 27-5. Mustang women end season. Morningside loses to Dakota State in the first-round NAIA game. The Morningside women's basketball team Bid to play in Sioux City for another NAIA National Championship ended Tuesday. The Mustangs lost 78-65 to Dakota State of South Dakota in the opening round of the national tournament. Dakota State jumped out to a 26-18 lead and extended their margin to 45-34 at halftime. The Mustangs fought back in the second half, outscoring the Trojans 20-13, but came up short at the end. Sophia Peppers led the Mustangs with 18 points, and Chloe Lovstrom added 13. Morningside, which has won four national championships and qualified for 22 national attorneys, was the number 11 seed in the 14 pod in Wichita, Kansas. Dakota State, the number 6 seed, moves on to play number 3 seed East Oregon for the right to head to the national championship final site in Sioux City, Eastern Oregon, beat St. Mary's, Kansas, in the other game played in Wichita Tuesday. Dort women advance in tourney. Defenders seek to earn spot in national finals in Sioux City. The Dort defenders women basketball team advanced to the second round of the NAI national tournament with a 76-63 win at home over Iowa Wesleyan Tuesday night. Dort secured the win by slowly pulling away from the Tigers. Short took the lead for good with a Jane Schoenhoven give from Carly Gustafson with 7.05 left in the first quarter for a 9-6 to lead after Schoenhoven was fouled and converted the free throw. The lead was as many as six in the first quarter before the defenders settled for an 18:30 13 first quarter lead. Hayden Hymanson led with 16 points and Gustafson and Schoenhoven each had 13 points. Dort was set to host Maryville State Wednesday night in the second round, with the winner advancing to the National Tournament Championship final site next week at Tyson Events Center in Sioux City. Results of the game are too late for the Journal's print deadline. Dort men earn tourney win. Defenders race past Bethel in first round in Tennessee. The Dort University men's basketball team earned a 101-92 win over Bethel in a first-round NAIA national tournament game from Henderson, Tennessee, on Tuesday night. Dort, the top seed of the four-team bracket, earned its fifth straight win and advanced to Wednesday's second-round game, where they are set to play number 2 seed and host Freed Hardeman University. Results of the game were too late for the journal's print deadline. Dort, the top shooting team in the NAIA, continued to blister the nets, shooting 65% from the field, 38% from beyond the arc. All five defender starters scored in double figures, led by inside-outside duel of Bryce Kopik with 29 points and Jacob fizz with 21 points. Lucas Lorenzen added 19 points, draining a team-high three shots from beyond the arc while Cade Bleeker had 12 points and Luke Rankin had 11 points, were also on double figures. Dort led. Lead Dort's lead fluctuated from as many as 17 points to as few as 8 in the high-scoring second half. The defenders continued to shoot well, making good on 62% of its field goal attempts during the final frame, while also getting to the free-throw line often, with 11 of 15 in the second half. In business news... Wall Street steadies itself a day after its steep tumble, by Stan Cho of the Associated Press. Stocks steadied on Wall Street Wednesday and closed with a mixed finish a day after worries about interest rates sent them to one of the worst tumbles of the year. The S&P 500 rose 5.64 points, or one tenth of a percent, to 399201. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 5806, or Two tenths of a percent to 32,798.40, while the NASDAQ composite added 45,67 or 0.4 percent to 11,576. They came off a sharp drop Tuesday after the head of the Federal Reserve warned it could speed up its hikes to interest rates if pressure on inflation stays high. Such hikes can ease inflation by slowing the economy, but they also hit prices for stocks and other investments and raise the risk of a recession in the future. The Fed's chair, Jerome Powell, said again Wednesday that pressure on inflation appears to be running higher than earlier expected. But he also said much more strenuously than he did on Tuesday that the Fed hasn't made a decision yet on the size of its future hikes. He said policymakers want to see what reports say in the run-up of their next meeting this month. We're not on a preset path, and we will be guided by the incoming data, Powell said. One report he highlighted, in particular, came out as he spoke Wednesday morning. It showed that the number of job openings advertised across the country last month remained higher than expected. Such data has become excruciatingly scrutinized on Wall Street because it can give a clue about where wages are heading for workers. Strong wage gains are good for workers struggling to keep up with high inflation, but the Fed worries too high growth could cause a vicious cycle that pushes inflation higher. Businesses typically pass their higher labor costs on to their customers in the form of higher prices, helping fuel inflation. While the higher-than-expected number of job openings could spook markets, the report also shows some signs of easing pressure, including fewer Americans quitting their jobs. A separate report Wednesday suggested hiring is still stronger across the U.S. private employers than expected. It could offer a sneak peek of what another one of the reports highlighted by Powell could say. The U.S. government's more comprehensive report on hiring is scheduled for Friday. Last month, a jaw-dropping number for that report revved up worries on Wall Street that inflation may not be cooling as quickly or smoothly as hoped. Besides the gangbuster jobs report, other data showed surprising strength in everything from spending by U.S. consumers to inflation itself at multiple levels. That caused stocks to drop and bond yields to jump in February. On Wall Street, Tesla was one of the heaviest weights on the market after U.S. regulators received two complaints that the steering wheel can, can come off its Model Y SUV while being driven. It dropped 3%. From the opinion section... Get to the Center and Stay There, If You Can By Ruben Navarette Out of San Diego As our country struggles to overcome division and dysfunction, it seems the only thing harder than finding the center is staying there. For one thing, the worlds of politics and media, which revolve around communication, were not built to accommodate centrists. Much of our political discourse involves extremists bickering with one another and turning a deaf ear to opinions that differ from theirs. Then there's the fact that a lot of people try to pull you off your perch, perhaps because those who make camp at the extremes are often insecure about what they believe. Some feel the need to recruit centrists to their side. And finally, There will always be those who, because they have such limited experience with those in the center, totally misunderstand what it means to travel down the middle of the road. To borrow a phrase from Cool Hand Luke, what we've got in the United States today is a failure to communicate. And sometimes, ironically, even professional communicators fail to get their point across. I'll plead guilty. When you've been in a sustained conversation with readers for more than 20 years, you assume that your audience knows exactly where you're coming from and has at least a basic understanding of what you do. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. I've written more than 3,000 pieces positioning myself in the political center, but a longtime reader recently urged me to write better-balanced columns. That admonition bothered me, not because I shouldn't aspire to write better columns, Every columnist should. We can always improve. It was the balance part that got under my skin. Where is it written that columns are supposed to be balanced and present all sides of every issue? Or that the best opinion pieces are of the 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 on-the-one-hand-but-on-the-other-hand variety? That might be fair, but it's also boring and wishy-washy, and it's not what impactful opinion writing is all about. Whether you're on the right, on the left, or in the center— You have to start with a strong and confident point of view. Deep thought is essential. You can and should consider other perspectives. But in the end, you must be clear about exactly what you believe and explain precisely why you believe it. Readers don't have to agree with you. Calmness are not in the persuasion business. Anyone who thinks otherwise is confusing us with trial attorneys. We're in the provocation business. Our job is to make you think and get you fired up enough to go change the world, if that's your thing. Having a strong opinion is a hard and fast rule that also applies to those of us who dwell in the center. There are a lot of paths that will get you to the center. You can get there by wrestling with complex issues, and not thinking in terms of all-or-nothing solutions. Or by despising both political parties and refusing to vote a straight ticket. Or by avoiding the extremes and searching for compromise. Still, however you get there, being in the center doesn't give you a free pass from having to take strong positions. One of the best ways to get to the center is to have strong views on a variety of subjects, based on facts and common sense, without being hemmed in by ideology. It's fine to eschew labels and just follow your heart on a case-by-case basis. In what now seems like a bygone year, it used to be okay for a person to be liberal on abortion, but conservative on gun control. It was once perfectly fine for someone to be conservative on immigration, but liberal on trade. Back then, no one raised an eyebrow at those who were liberal on climate change, but conservative on criminal justice. These aren't contradictions. They're the things that make people interesting. Now, the rules appear to have changed. Loyalty and consistency are what matter. These days, no one likes surprises. Americans are expected to be 100% conservative or 100% liberal all the time. That's ridiculous. Such a simplistic and unreasonable demand runs counter to our natural impulses. Humans are much too complicated to be penned in by labels. We'll always resist. And while we might not always act like it, columnists are human too. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal. I'm your reader, Bob. I hope you enjoyed today's reading, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.
1: Bureau of Economic Geology, this is Earthdate. A decade ago, there were typically 20 earthquakes a year that were large enough to feel in the central and eastern U.S., but in 2015, there were over 1,000 of them. Why? It's mostly because we're pumping more water into the ground. The boom in U.S. oil and gas production over the last decade has brought many more oil wells, which also produce water. Most is naturally occurring in the formation, and some was injected by operators to allow or improve the recovery of oil and gas. In both cases, the water will likely have picked up salt and other minerals from the rock, making it many times saltier than seawater. Operators may reinject inject this water to continue to liberate oil and gas. But more often, there's too much to handle, so it's trucked or piped to disposal wells where it's pumped down into deep saltwater reservoirs. Adding large volumes of wastewater increases the pressure in these rock formations, which can allow natural faults to slip more easily than they normally would, causing earthquakes. To address these quakes, regulators and the petroleum industry are monitoring disposal wells and shutting down those that could cause damaging seismic activity. And they now think that managing wastewater injection more carefully should help. There's still more work to be done, and university research centers, like the Bureau of Economic Geology, are conducting major studies with the aim of minimizing the risk of earthquakes while maintaining the benefits of domestic energy production. For EarthDate, I'm Scott Tinker. EarthDate is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.